good fellow, a loving husband, a nice chap. But just watch how your whole personality changes when you get behind the wheel of a car. You're not unique by any means. Reversing, just regardless. Look at that. Road manners, where are they? Welcome back to Napalm Nanny in the Shack. I am your host, the one, the only Napalm Nanny. And I've covered a bit of car history in previous episodes and with a culture that comes along with it. But I know for a fact that majority of drivers don't really give the highway systems a second thought. So I decided to dig in. And you'd think the history of freeways and highways would be boring, but honestly, it's kind of scandalous. But before I do that, let me insert some shameless self-promotion. And for friends who haven't yet, find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok under Napalm Nanny in the Shack. I'd love to get to know you. So on to this week's episode. So the 48,000 miles of interstate highway would be paved across the country during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, were a godsend for many rural communities. But those highways also gutted many cities, with whole neighborhoods torn down or isolated. And the roots of the interstate system 
optimism go back to the 1930s when General Motors, AAA, and other industry groups formed the National Highway Users Conference to influence federal transportation policy. And these groups realized the nation's transportation system needed to be reframed entirely as a public responsibility. After all, most cities had just ripped up their streetcar networks because they were privately owned systems that weren't making money. The auto industry didn't want the same thing to happen to highways. Peter Norton, a historian at the University of Virginia and author of Fighting Traffic, The Dawn of the Motor Age in the American City, shares, there was a really successful effort by people with a stake in the automotive industry to characterize road building as a public responsibility. And they also decided to call these roads free roads, a term that was later replaced by freeways, which Norton argues that this naming shift was essential in persuading the federal government and the public to shift away from tolls. So around the same time, auto industry groups began envisioning an ambitious network of wide, smooth highways accessible only by on-ramps that would crisscross the country. These highways would link distant cities, but also thread through downtowns, allowing people to drive as quickly as possible from home to work and back. And this vision was distilled in a massive one-acre diorama GM built in 1939 for the World's Fair in New York called Futurama. Then World War II delayed progress in the highway system, but policymakers in Washington, D.C. began working on a plan afterward. The paths of the highways that would become the interstates were laid out in a 1947 map followed by a 1955 Department of Commerce document, often called the Yellow Book. And that specified the paths these highways would take through city centers. And before I get carried away, here's this week's playlist. Enjoy.
Contributors included members of the auto industry, including General Motors CEO Charles Irwin Wilton and highway engineers. However, urban planners were absent. The profession barely existed at the time. So state and city politicians accepted these plans for a variety of reasons. In an era where suburbs had just begun to grow, local politicians saw urban freeways as a way of bringing suburban commuters into the city, and some local business people supported them for similar reasons. But an unmistakable part of the equation was a federally supported program of urban renewal in which lower income urban communities, mostly African American, were targeted for removal. And the new freeways also isolated many other neighborhoods, ushering in their demise. And combined with federal housing bills that paid developers to tear down existing housing stock and replace it with high rises, they resulted in the continued decimation of huge swaths of many cities. Many neighborhoods, predominantly black, were wiped out and turned into surface parking and highways, Norton says. Also noting black Bottom and Paradise Valley in Detroit, historical neighborhoods that were torn down to make way for the I-375. But not all highways got built. Many city governments opposed them from the beginning. And in San Francisco, DC, and elsewhere, key segments were blocked by a coalition of local officials and residents. And UCLA professor Eric Avila says some city transportation planners, especially in the Southern US, were motivated by white supremacy. In others, city planners were choosing the path of least resistance or trying to get rid of so-called blighted neighborhoods. And Boyle Heights in Los Angeles, for example, was redlined by banks and home insurance providers because its mix of races was considered unsafe. And Avila would go on to share, it was described by the federal government as hopelessly heterogeneous. A homeowner's loan corporation report called it an ideal location for a slum clearance project. And that slum clearance project was the highway construction. And the colossal intersection of the 5, the 10, the 101, and the 60 freeways destroyed Boyle Heights. It was a thriving, ethnically mixed neighborhood. And Josh Stevens, a freelance writer who has paid special attention to California's highway system shares, freeways don't look like monuments. They're not statues. They're these enormous concrete miles long structures that very much speak to racist elements of regional planning, racist elements of politics, and racist elements of what at the time was considered to be progress. And I can go on and on about what I've dug up, but I'll refrain. So without further ado, here's the rest of the playlist.
I said, come on, cocksuckin' Sammy, get your motherfuckin' mammy. We're going downtown to the cocksuckers' ball. Fuck, suck, and fight. Tell the beginning of the broad daylight. We don't need no goddamn taxi fare. We're gonna trim them holes in a rocket chair. Take off all the rags. We're gonna play a little game called tag. Tomorrow night after run cocksuckers' ball. Come on, you poor-ass singers and you big, big slingers. We're going down, down to the cocksuckers' ball. Fuck, suck, and fight. Tell the beginning of the broad daylight. We don't need no goddamn taxi fare. We're going to trim them holes in a rocking chair. Take off all their rags. We're going to play a little game called tag. Tomorrow night after run cocksuckers ball. Cha 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 cha. As the riding, riding, cock, cock, suckers, suckers, run cocksuckers ball.
enough how happy I am that I get to share this with such a diverse group of music nerds. It's honestly mind-blowing and it reminds me that we have so much more uniting us than we do dividing us. So thank you to everyone who has tuned in, shared, messaged, interacted with any part of the podcast. Thank you guys so much. And I can't wait to see where this project will go. Between a growing guest segment and a few projects on the side, I'm glad that I got you guys here with me. So till next week, I am your host, the one, the only Napalm Nanny. Stay safe, you guys. <laughs>